Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher Jr. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast, and don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's available at Amazon. That was written by VJ Trolio. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. And you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Well, I just finished up covering the U.S. men's amateur at Oakmont, and what a great finish it was. Incredible golf with James Pyatt winning 2-1 and one over Austin Greaser. But today I have one of the 64 players who made the match play, and that's Mr. Bo Andrews, former Georgia Tech golfer and the current assistant men's golf coach at the University of Tennessee. Bo, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. Appreciate it. Well, this is our second take, and I'm going to be honest with our, our listeners. Big Jim messed this one up, so we're going to go with a mulligan. There, you're going to tell me some new things I know, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, we're going to go with it. But I'm proud to have you back on her. But, you know, what was really cool is to see you go out and not play any golf to speak of and go out there and qualify for the USAM at Oakmont. I mean, you know, how do you get prepared for something like that when you haven't played competitive golf in a while? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly was special to go up there and play. Um, you know, I my fiance's family's from up there, so kind of going into the qualifier, I I didn't necessarily put more pressure on myself to make it, but I really wanted to just because her family is such big golf fans, and um, you know, but preparation wise to get into the tournament, I, I really didn't do too much. I kind of maybe even oversimplified my game, and I don't get that much time to practice and play, so I, I knew. I know what I do works, and so I just kind of stuck with that. Well, you've only got the best practice facility in college golf uh, to maybe do a little practicing. Were you able to take advantage of that, or were you just so busy out recruiting? We'll get to the recruiting in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been on the road a lot this summer, and I think the week before I practiced for an hour and a half, just Thursday before I left and hit some wedges. I mean, I – I always feel like I have a good idea how far my wedges go, but I just wanted to make sure, and that that, that seemed to be good enough, I guess. Well, it, it sure was. And one thing we I mentioned, you played at Georgia Tech, you played professionally for a while, but you're considered a reinstated amateur. I mean, what's the process like, and how long did it take for you to get uh, reinstated? Because a lot of people don't know that. I know my wife went through that process after she played at LSU, got her temporary conditional card on the LPGA but because of that she had to wait out I think at least two years I know she had shoulder surgery in there it may have been three years but how long did it take for you and what was the process like for you to get uh, reinstated yeah so for me I quit playing in 20 in the summer of 2018 and so I was able to get um, my status back or my amateur status back late in the summer of 2019 and um, I didn't have any full status on any major tour. So I think that's one of the big kickers that determines how many years you kind of have to wait. Okay. Um, so I was able to play in the state am, I think in 2019 and, and then I played in the state am in 2020. And those are the two, you know, tournament, actual tournaments that I played in since. 
So to, you're saying if I wanted if, if I wanted to get reinstated, I probably have to be a hundred years old. <laughs> you, think, you, you don't have to answer that. We don't. You'd be good. I'd be a while. I think I'll stay pro just in case. Uh, you know, somebody wants to give me five dollars to represent them or something. But uh, uh, let's go back to the qualifier. Where did you pick to qualify, and why did you choose uh, where you went? I, I went up to um, Massachusetts at, at Long Meadow. I think um, U.S. Junior was played there in '04, and I just picked it because I wanted to go play a honestly a great golf course. And um, I feel like the harder the golf course is, the better for me because. Um, although I don't get to practice much, I do get to get the mental reps out there with the guys in tournaments. So, you know, my mind stays sharp in tournament mode, I would say. And so I knew that the, the harder golf course might, uh, help me out a little bit. How many players for how many spots? It ended up being two spots. I can't wow. remember how many players there were, but I mean, at the end of the, the last day, cause it was a, um, big storm came through in a rain out. There's only about. 20, 25 guys left playing because they all went through this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, take us through. So it's 36 holes in one day, uh, and you had a rain delay. Uh, take us through that because you told me the story, but I'm kind of, I just want you to go ahead and re kind of relive that story about what you're thinking of the night before. You're right on the bubble of making it. You know what you got to do. You got a lot of things going on. Take us through that night before with only, I don't know, maybe nine holes to go. Yeah, so I'm. First off, I get up there and I incorrectly read the fine print on the on the application, and there was no practice round the day before. So, ended up just driving around looking at tee shot lines and looked up the what holes played hard from the qualifier the year before, and kind of figured out maybe a, a, maybe I needed to adjust the game plan and really just kind of play for par on those holes or see what happens. Um, but I get up there, and the, I, I can. And I'm looking at the radar and the weather for the next couple of days, and it's going to be really hot. But there's a huge storm supposed to come through, and then I'm going over in my head. I'm like, man, I'm supposed to go to Hawaii the next morning after the 36 whole day ends and fly out of Boston direct. Why are you going to Hawaii? And, That's another story. But we'll, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt <laughs> you, but we got we'll get back to that. But why are you trying to go to Hawaii after a qualifier? And I'll let you get back to so, the qualifier. I'm supposed to go to Hawaii because my then girlfriend is working in Hawaii all summer. She got a contract to um, for work out there, so I'm going to go visit her, and I'm planning on proposing out there. Oh boy! But uh, you would think I would be able to maybe throw in an extra day in case it rains, but for whatever reason, I didn't do that. So now I'm thinking, oh, man, I really hope this doesn't get rained out. Uh, yeah, okay, so now, okay, this is really good. So now you got the pressure of trying to qualify for the USAM. You've got the, probably more pressure that you're trying to get a flight so you could go get it proposed to get engaged. How did you sleep? Or did you even sleep? Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I did actually because I ended up being so busy at night because once I played the first day and shot, I think 66, the first round and I'm playing the second round and I'm through seven holes and they call it for the day, a total washout, huge storm comes through and I'm like, Oh boy, this is going to be a long night. So I end up getting on the phone with Hawaiian airlines to try to change my flight. And that's not the easiest flight in the world to change. No. Because good music, though. Good music. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I ended up 
and I end up on, I try to go call the hotel to say I need an extra night and they're sold out. So then I got to drive to Springfield, Connecticut or Springfield, Springfield, Massachusetts. The tournament was kind of near infield Connecticut to go to a different hotel. In the meantime, I'm still on hold um, with Hawaiian airlines throughout all the way to about 10 PM. And I finally get everything changed and get set up on a new flight. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I better make it tomorrow. Or like, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to do all this stuff to, to change my flight, to go do something that's even more important than playing golf. So I I need to figure out how to get this done tomorrow. So did you make some birdies coming in or what was those last few holes? Like knowing, Hey, I got a chance of making this. Yeah, so I ended up, I had to play the hardest hole on the course the first thing that morning. Oh, gosh. And I hit a great tee shot <laughs> and hit a great uh, second shot to, like, six feet and made birdie. And so, like, honestly, when I made that, I was just like, okay, like, let's, you know, let's go. Let's do this. Um, and so I made some more pars and one birdie on the par five coming in. And I knew it was close because I was, like, the last group, I think, and all the rules officials were following. So I knew I was either in, inside the number, on it, or close, um, one out. So. You know, folks, this is a good lesson for you kids out there listening. You just can't hide, hide talent. You just can't hide it. It's there. <laughs> it's going to come out eventually. That is a great story. So you make it. Uh, so everybody's excited. But now you got to go back and recruit, I'm sure, because you can't just, you know, take a couple weeks off and, and go uh, uh, get back out there. But before you go to that, i got to tell you a little story about your boy, Bryce Lewis, who's on the team. I, with COVID, I think he's going to be a sophomore. Heck, he could be anything. Uh, but he's got a qualifier. Uh, the day after we do the podcast and I'm sitting there with him and I said, Hey, you know, your, your boy, Bo, your assistant coach qualified. I said, tomorrow you're going to face the biggest challenge and the most nerve wracking day you've ever had in your life. And he goes, really? Why is that? I said, cause Bo made it. And if you don't, it's going to be a long fall for you. Probably a whole long (laughs) This kid goes out and shoots one thirty something, finishes second and makes it. But, uh, you know, you go back to recruiting, were you able to practice any in between before you went up to Oakmont? I mean, no, not really, Jim. Yeah, I played when I went to Hawaii. I played one round, I think, in the five days I was out there, um, which was awesome. But um, no, I really didn't didn't practice or play that much. So um, I just kind of knew if I got a few round, a couple rounds, I was like, I just need to get like two rounds in and like couple practice sessions, chipping and putting and hitting wedges. And I, I think um, physically, I'll, I'll have have enough. But mentally, I was more just wanting to make sure I was you know, in, in shape for that. Okay. So this is interesting because I love to hear this. So this is the, the big key is I think you freed yourself up. So what's the mindset different from when you're playing college golf, you're playing as a professional, you're playing all the time. And now you've gone out, you haven't played any, you don't have a lot of expectations. Is it the, because you don't have the expectations, you're able to free yourself up a little bit easier? I think so. I think, um, you know, I, I think I dropped some of my physical expectations. Um, and one thing, Coach Webb's done a great job with of talking to the guys, and even I've not only tried to preach that as well, but even learn it too. And it's, you know, it's it's okay to hit bad shots. We're all going to hit bad shots. Um, you know, to continue to harp on yourself for something you're doing physically wrong while you're out there playing is, you know, not a great thing. Just just work on the small stuff. Um, try to get better at that, and focus on all those things that you can control in terms of your mental game and mindset. 
You know, it's it's amazing. You're probably what thirty, thirty one years old. That you you picked that up pretty quick. I'm sixty, and I just figured it out about a month ago. So, <laughs> you know, I told Cohen Trollio the same thing after he played at Oakmont and he struggled. He got mad at himself. He said, he said, I just you know, I just let the golf course intimidate me. And I said, well, son, you're eighteen. You figured it out. Me, I'm still sixty, and I'm still just trying to figure that out. So. Uh, that, that's awesome that, that, that you were able to go in there with that. But two golf courses, Longview and Oakmont, contrasting golf courses. Uh, Longview is an older golf course, too, with a lot of hills. So how do you prepare? You really need to see Oakmont, gosh, as many times as you can. Had you ever played it before you got up there uh, and preparing for the USAM? Yeah, so I played it. Um, so I mentioned that Shan's family is, is from up there, so I played it two years ago. Um, with her brother um, but it was during Thanksgiving and it was like 35 degrees and blowing about 25 and there was no one else on the course and so we saw it at, in a different level of hard kind of like oh my gosh this is even harder than I thought it was going to be so you're saying when the members say they got the greens up in one of their big weekend or tournaments or whatever 17 you were probably they were probably rolling about 30 <laughs> they're, 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 they're not lying yeah <laughs> So you got to play at the end. You get to practice running. So you go to Longview, try to figure that out. What things did you do at Oakmont to prepare for those greens? And even finding line sites, you know, sites that to come off the tees because there's no trees now. When I played at 94 in the U.S. Open, there were trees. You could kind of pick some things in the background. How did you – I mean, that's a short period of time. You got a four, four-and-a-half-hour practice round to kind of learn all these things. I mean, what kind of notes did you make for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think – I think everybody could use a few extra rounds at Oakmont before playing it competitively. But I think during the practice round, the course was obviously playing pretty firm and fast. And you saw that with the first round scores. And um, then the weather kind of rolled in and it softened up. But during the practice round, it was playing so tough that you, I kind of started to get a, after a few holes, I was like, I looked at Christian who was caddying for me and said, you know, I, whether I hit my second shot here or, or not, my ball at some point is going to end up in these one or two spots around these greens mm-hmm. just because they're so severely sloped and whatnot. So I'm just going to spend most of my time putting from here and hitting a couple chips from around here because definitely at some point my ball is going to end up here. What lessons did you learn about playing around some of those greens? Because, I mean, I, I don't like to pick on the younger generation, but I, I noticed sometimes in the U.S. Women's AM and even – in the men's am, they take a lot of lofted clubs around the greens. Did you putt it more? Would you have tried different shots with like a little less loft on it? Maybe uh, nine iron pitching wedge. Because I'm telling you, those areas around the greens, the greens were rolling when you were talking about the koala or the first round or so were right about 14. They slowed down to about 12.5 after all the rain. But the fringes, the first cut I would call, I think they rolled about 12. And then the fairways are probably 10. So, I mean, how do you prepare or how do you practice for or play shots like that when you're around those tight areas? Because that's a difficult choice when you don't get to really practice anything like that on a daily basis. No doubt. I mean, anytime I can get a putter in my hand, I'm using it. So, okay. I, was, I was putting as much as I could. But um, I think, you know, with, with some, of the, some of the undulation and bunkering, you, know, you might not have a choice in some areas. Um, so, you might have to go with a little more loft there. But there was no doubt. If I was in the the fringe that was rolling about a 10 and a half, I was putting it. So you get on the first tee. We, we, you talked about kind of that first round. You get on that first tee, uh, you, you first round, you have a really great round. You uh, you shoot under par. You're in really good shape. You get on the first tee at Oakmont that second day. 
chance of possibly rain. Uh, I can't remember if you were in the rain when it happened because the golf course, the complete different in the waves. I think the guys that went late early, uh, not many of those guys made it through. Uh, I mean, how do you, you prepare yourself mentally knowing, hey, it, the golf course could change or you just kind of play it as it's presented to you? Right. I mean, for, first off, I was definitely a little rusty waiting around. You know, you, yeah. you play enough tournaments during the summer, you kind of get acclimated to delays and things changing. And, and I started, I could feel myself getting a little antsy and um, especially knowing what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely rusty coming out and it showed on my front nine. Um, so from, from that standpoint, I, I uh, didn't play well. Um, adjusting to that so what do you tell yourself there you you know you're a little bit rusty what are you telling what's your self-talk what are you telling yourself there to kind of get ready to get back at it on that next nine after the delays well fortunately i, I didn't have to tell myself anything because the sun went down and play got go. called so then i was then i was eight so i got saved there and after about nine holes i think i was four over so um, did you call hawaiian airlines and try to change your flight and change <laughs> hotels to go through all that thing <laughs> Yeah, I needed something like that to to adjust. No, I just, I literally just told, I, I kind of just felt like I acknowledged and was aware of the fact that I struggled, mm. like mentally during that four-hour window of waiting, five-hour window of waiting around and then playing. That like, I just started thinking about everything, you know, what, what could happen, what could happen, rather than just, you know, staying in the present, doing all the stuff that, that you talk about doing. And um, so... So fortunately, I was able to get that uh, dark, you know, place suspended from do you, darkness and do you think get out going the next morning. Do you think coaching's helped you in that little process you're talking about? Because you're not playing, but you're coaching. Do you think that helped you that to get ready for that second night or that last night to get in to make the match play? Oh, 100%. I mean, there's so many times I'm out there um, with a certain guy. I'm obviously not carrying his bag, but I'm trying to be in his ear the right right amount of time and – um, sometimes it's best to just kind of look in the mirror that way or kind of listen to what you're saying. Cause all those things that he's saying, I'm, I end up trying to practice what I preach and what coach Webb preaches. And, um, those things certainly, certainly help me on that second nine. So you get to the last hole, 18, probably the hardest finishing hole, or we've trying to find three of the top tough finishing holes on the, on the PGA tour or a major history. And that's gotta be one of them. Uh, driver four iron to that hole and you know you probably got to make part of make it take us through those you know feelings coming down that last hole yeah i mean i it felt great i mean i was i just remember the cool thing about oakmont is it's i feel like all hard courses have some back tee box where you end up having to make like a 30 to 40 yard walk back from the last green and so it's this like awkward moment of time where you're anticipating turning around and seeing something that either looks hard or you know is hard. And so I just specifically remember walking up that tee and just like really working on my breathing. I know this might sound cliche, but I mean, breathing is so important in what you're doing. And um, our strength and conditioning coach, Greg Adamson, is unbelievable at helping these guys learn that. And I just, I just felt like I really remember breathing and slowing my breath down, which I think, was able to kind of just clear my head and step up and hit a tee shot literally straight down the middle. That is great. I love that description. 
Now, my description of walking back to the seventh tee at Oakmont's 150-yard walk back up that hill was just trying to <laughs> to breathe, just to catch my breath. Uh, but no, seriously, that was a great description. I, I've never heard it put that way. That's awesome. That's really well said, uh, and that's a good lesson for everybody at home, uh, just or people listening here. That that's that's some great advice. So you make it. Our producer Brant Packer, big Tennessee fan, of course, we all know that. Uh, bear hug to him. Of course, I'm quietly staying in the background, trying not to show favoritism, unlike my producer. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I was really proud of you. But I go out that next morning and I get out early and watch. I see you. I think you're three over or three down uh, through 12. You're playing Austin Greaser from North Carolina. Great player, good young man. Just a great story. Uh, and you make a little bit of a comeback. You get to 17, only one down. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you, you lose 17, but you got to be pretty proud of yourself. Uh, you, you go up against a guy that went all the way to the finals and an incredible player against, and you're playing against these college kids that are playing every week. Uh, you had to be really proud of what you accomplished, not only to qualify, but to get all the way to match play and, and represent yourself in, t in the University of Tennessee so well. No, no doubt. I mean, it felt, it felt great. I mean, match play on at Oakmont, I mean, what, what better than that? I mean, I just can't think of too many things that are golf-wise. Um, and to certainly have all the support out there, it felt amazing. You know, and, and I think the thing that I look back on and I talked to Christian who is caddying for me is like, man, we got to play all these sunset nines at Oakmont and then we get to play these sunrise nines. Wow. Yeah. So, and play and, and I'm like thinking to myself, how many people in the world get to do this? Not many. Not not many. Not many. And so, you know, to obviously um, you know, he's he's a great player and his scores reflect that. But, you know, I felt like I was able to really hit some good shots there and um, put some pressure pressure on him. I just hit a bad shot on seventeen that was relatively easy and kinda of showed my my lack of practice and in a quick instant and that's all that took well you got his attention maybe you kind of motivated him to go on and he is going to be a great player hits it so far and he hits a big hard left to right shot and, and i just watching him was amazed i said this kid can play he's going to do well there and of course he did he got beat by james pyatt at the end but uh you know you, you talked about coach webb and, and what makes him such a good coach? What 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 makes him unique? And there's so many great coaches, but what what are some of the qualities he has that makes him such a great coach? Yeah, I mean, I think what what Coach Webb is able to do and instill in the guys is is something I even try to learn, and then I try to take into what I I say as well. And he he's he's big into the self talk. He's big into what you think about yourself, and creating confidence and creating belief is an extremely underrated ability, I think. And it's something that's hard to do. And mm -hmm. he's really, really good at it. And he, the guys are certainly really, really good at learning it. Oh, and I know. Listening. Yeah. And, and they both love you and I know they love him as well. So that's, that's true because I think we, we talk so down on ourselves and we beat ourselves up, you know, when we're out there playing, I remember my wife, Sissy saying, why, why are you talking to yourself that like that would you talk to your kids that way and I go well no he goes well why would you beat yourself up you know I just think we're so tough on ourselves but I think that's true I think coach Webb does a great job with that why does the combination work because there's always a good cop and a bad cop in there why do you two guys work so well together I know I thought he, he coached you in college as well so is it some of the past things you learned and had him under uh, under his helm before and now working side by side yeah I think I think that just knowing each other for a long time and um, understanding that each person is going to work as hard as they can to 
help these kids achieve their achieve their dreams is, is definitely creates good chemistry. Um, but but certainly, I mean, he's just a he's just a great guy, and you know, he has great his his strengths are a little different than mine, and his um, weaknesses are a little different than mine. So we try to fill in fill in the uh, each other's gaps as best we can. You guys do a great job of it, and. You know, I hear all the other coaches talk about how great a coach he is, but I'm going to tell you what he tells tells us about you. He thinks you're the number one assistant in the country, and I can't, you know, argue that. You've done a great job. But what have you learned about yourself, and how have you improved in the last three years as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I try to write as much down as I possibly can that he says or does, and and I certainly try to write write notes down about how the guys do after you know, we have a big talk or a certain guy, you know, grows and does really well after he, he learns something. So I just think that, you know, this where I've grown the most is just trying to stay as, as present as possible. I know everybody tries to do that. Um, but to actually, to actually do it, um, and stay present and stay positive and just continue to work as hard as you can every day. And I think those are the things that helps me, um, believe in myself as a coach, right? Like I think one thing I struggled with young um, a couple years ago as a coach, and then one thing I, I think it carried over from professional golf and college golf was that I didn't have that belief that he does and that he's helped instill in the guys. And so I think um, that's totally transitioned to me now and that, that self-belief. Yeah, he's made you believe. But I'll tell you what, those guys you're coaching, they better believe that you're a good player. And I think there will probably be some times this fall – well, you're going to be able to get back at him. And one particular little young man, our friend Bryce, uh, you just got one little up on him now. So they're going to have to – they're going to catch some grief, I think, this fall. If they don't act up, start playing a little bit, you can throw it back at him. I'm sure the nice guy that you are, you won't. But remember, you have that, and you have that ability to do that. Uh, but I look forward to, to seeing you all at, at uh, Shoal Creek uh, for the uh, big SEC match play. I'm going to be there. I'm, I've been honored to – be an ambassador, for, represent the University of Tennessee, so it's going to be fun to watch it. But I've uh, got a few more questions. I'm going to let you go because I know you're busy. But let's talk recruiting. I talked to a few coaches and even Coach Webb. It was a little strange getting back out there recruiting face-to-face for the first time in a while. Uh, what was it like when you first got out there? Did you feel some freedom? And it's like, hey, I used to do this. Right. I mean, it was certainly exciting. Um, and it certainly felt competitive um, to, to get out there and finally – finally see some swings and some putts drop and see some, see some talent. Um, it was nice to get, get back out there and see really what, see what really we were evaluating. What do you look for when you're looking at a young player? Cause I know a lot of parents out there and, and juniors like to know what coaches are specifically sometimes looking for. What are you looking for yourself? Not so much anybody else, but you personally looking at. Yeah, I, I think, I think a few things are really important. I think um, physically, does does this junior golfer have a skill set that can lead to high level college golf and high level um, potentially professional golf? And you know that and that that is in terms of you know swinging the swinging the driver and iron game, short game, putting that that sense. But then the um, the maturity, right? Like mm-hmm. how mature is this kid? How does he see himself? Does he have that self belief? Or is there potential for that self-belief? You know, how does he interact with his his parents? How does he interact after a bad shot or several bad shots? Um, how does he act after good good shots? All all those things that 
you know, you think about when you think of belief and maturity. That's great. That's a great message to future Vols. That's a great message for us uh, former Vols, too, uh, and, and <laughs> even when you're raising kids. But uh, uh, what's the fall look like for you, and uh, what are you most excited about coming in, and how do you kind of keep the momentum going that you all uh, built on last year? Uh, I think uh, I'm super excited about the fall. We have four team tournaments and three individual tournaments, so um, there's certainly going to be a lot of golf being played, and I think uh, everyone expects the golf – to um, be some great golf as well. And I think if we can just continue to um, be aware of where those expectations are and just go to work every day, I think all that, all, all that other stuff will take care of itself. That's a w- great way to end it. Hey, I appreciate you coming back on again uh, on our mulligan on this podcast. Uh, hopefully this SD card works again. I'm sure it did. I think I did everything <laughs> last time around. Maybe I'll get a mulligan for next USM. Oh, yeah, you should be exempt. The way you play, they should just give you an exemption. <laughs> you know, should, I would, I would, I'll kind of put my word in for that, not that I, it carries very far, but uh, proud of how you play, proud of how you're representing uh, the University of Tennessee in our program, the way you guys, you just got some good guys. I know everybody can say that, but I've been around them. Uh, and I, I look forward to being around some of the new guys coming in. But I, I just, just the way you conduct yourselves and how you guys truly, uh, I, I, we throw the word love around, but I think they just genuinely like each other. And that's a great combo. It reminds me a little bit of my team, uh, you know, in the early 80s. You know, yeah, we were competitive, but we got along. And we're now in our late 50s and 60s, and we still, you know, keep in touch. And we get a, have a reunion down there, and it's just great. Because these are the friendships you make for a life, and you guys are molding these young men, and you and Coach Webb, and we appreciate everything you've done. And I'd like to end the podcast, whether life or golf, you may have an only one shot, and you guys are doing a great job, uh, and you're making it count. But appreciate you being with us, Bo, and good luck to you guys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on again. Cool.